0: All right, Revelation chapter 3, again with the uh, letters to the churches here in the beginning of the book. Uh, this, this morning is the, the church in Sardis. The word of the Lord says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Holy Spirit, we want an ear this morning to know what exactly you want to communicate to us, how you want to revive what might be lagging, what might be lethargic in our spiritual lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a quick recap up to this point and, and catch us up to uh, in the letters that we've been looking at. The first letter, the, the one we looked at to Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus had... A lot of truth happening. They were holding fast to the truth, but they lost their love. They lost their first love. Jesus wants them to come back. Remember why you're doing this. Remember why you love truth. It's because you love Jesus. And then the church in Smyrna, they stood strong amid persecution. They were faithful. Remember the church in Smyrna, Jesus didn't have a rebuke for them. They, he just said, keep on coming. Keep going. Keep going. And in Pergamum, we saw that uh, they didn't have the right mindset. They were losing the the mental battle in spirituality. And they had faulty thinking that resulted in faulty living. Then last week, we looked at Thyatira, who tolerated just some, some unholy thought processes, unholy rationalizations, because they just wanted life to be easy. Can it just be easy? Can we just get along? And Jesus is reminding them, Pay attention. Pay attention because what we think might be easy is really tearing us down. And then this morning, here is is probably the most uh, concerning letter to the churches. Here is a church that looks alive. But Jesus, Jesus says to this church, you are dead. That's serious. Now, this letter to the church is distinct from the others Uh, I think due to the dire circumstance the church was in, they were barely on uh, spiritual life support. There was the appearance of life. Maybe there was a lot of commotion, a lot of activity happening. Maybe they were a church that was doing stuff. Maybe they were a well-attended church that was doing stuff. You know, we can look around now and see what we might characterize as a dead church and nobody's there, It's just dying. Everybody's leaving and nobody's there. This may have been a church that had a lot of stuff happening. They had attendance. They had the finances to do stuff. But yet, they seem unconcerned that something's missing in their own hearts. They had a reputation of life. Maybe in the community, people knew they were doing stuff. They had stuff happening. They had been a church that was faithful, but we can see that they grew out of that faithfulness. Because Jesus' pronouncement is serious. They were dead. They lacked true spiritual life. They were in a comatose state. That's why the title of this message is The Sardis Comatose. Because their their works were incomplete. They had maybe a lot of great ideas, but no follow-through. Maybe maybe they were the church that, you know, uh, let's just tell the pastor all of our great ideas and wait for somebody else to step up and fill them. Or just look at the pastor and say, well, you're you're getting paid, so you obviously have to do everything. It's easy to slip into that mindset where we don't think that all of us, we're all equipped for good works. They have maybe blamed the commotion of their lives as the reason that they couldn't do more in the church. And maybe their comatose was brought on just because life's hard. And when life gets hard, we seem to check out Of life, we check out of our spiritual lives. When life gets hard, we find it more difficult to sit down and read the word, find it more difficult and challenging to show up in the gathering of God's people when they gather together. It's difficult when life's hard. But we, we all know, we all have lives of commotion. But the question is do we have an eternal content? Occurring in our lives. Are we reaping the resurrection life that we have in Christ? Are we we seeing that show up in our lives as we interact with others in our homes, in our workplaces, in the church? Remember Jesus when he came upon the fig tree? He's He's heading toward Jerusalem and he comes upon a fig tree and it looked the, the gospel say it, it looked like it should have fruit. It had the promise of fruit because the leaves were already green. And Jesus walks up to it and doesn't find any fruit on it, and he curses it. It's odd. Jesus does some very odd things, if you don't understand what's going on. We read things like, oh, yeah, he cursed the tree. No, that's odd. Was he hungry? Like, Jesus, you, don't take it out on the poor little tree just because you're hungry. And No, what, what the fig tree represented was getting, what he was getting ready to see in Jerusalem because he went to the temple. And he sees a lot of activity. It's got the promise. It's got green leaves that something should be happening spiritually. But what are they doing? They've made it a den of robbers. They're cheating people. The ones selling, uh, exchanging money and selling. They're taking advantage. They're oppressing. The the ones that should be there to serve with sacrifices. They're looking to extort in order for, for their own gain so they can get rich. And Jesus, remember, he makes a whip. And he goes through and turns over The the money-changer tables, he turns, he drives those who sold the doves and pigeons, drives them out. It's interesting why that is used, because that was the the most inexpensive. That was the poor person's sacrifice. If you can't afford an ox, if you can't afford the lamb, here's a dove, here's a pigeon. Go ahead, use that. Even extorting the poor. And Jesus throws it all over, because he's saying, you have all this activity, and it looks like you're doing something, but it's dead. It's dead. When they come back, Jesus, Peter, wow, that's the tree you cursed, Jesus. And then Jesus says something again very powerful. If you say to that mountain, I mean, believe in your heart, you'll receive it. And you say to that mountain, move, be cast into the sea, it will obey you. That's wild. It's like Jesus is, he's giving us a sense of what it means to live by faith. And the people in the temple weren't doing anything by faith. The church in Sardis doesn't seem to be doing anything by faith anymore. And I think that's where we can get caught in. We can get caught in our lives with the commotion that we just don't live by faith anymore. We don't, the risk is gone. Remember, we, we, when we were on fire for Jesus, maybe new in the faith, we couldn't wait to tell somebody about him. We, We just, the joy in our face, we wanted people to see. And that just, just becomes empty. Just doesn't happen anymore. Our drive's not there. We're not living by faith anymore. Uh, the the people, believers in Sardis, we fall into the same category. We fall into this spiritual lethargy, this just malaise, this just numbness to spirituality, numbness to any uh, spirit sensitivity. And the situation was amplified, I think, in Sardis because they were just unconcerned, they didn't care. But Jesus comes to them with a promise, listen, of powerful grace to revive their heart's passion for God. And I believe that's what the Lord wants to do just again for us today. He wants to revive our heart's passion for him with his powerful grace. The message to the believers in Sardis is the reminder to live by the power of God. And that's, that's for every church in every context throughout all of history. As Jesus does in the other Letters. He introduces himself to them in a particular way that he showed in chapter 1 of his image that John sees of this. And particularly, Jesus comes to the church in Sardis and he says, I hold the, the seven spirits and the seven stars in my head. I'm the one that holds those. Now, remember guiding principle? When it comes to numbers in Revelation, quality is more important than Quantity. We don't have to count seven spirits, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of God. It means completeness. It means I have all of the Spirit. The number seven gives us a picture that, the, that Jesus is holding, not, not just the seven, he's, he comes from the this presence of God, so he holds the presence of God. He also holds the cosmic power in his right hand. The picture that Jesus gives is of his eternally complete power that's present with his people. And look, it's the hand of God that brings the blessing and the security. The image of Jesus to teach the churches provides a clue as to what their struggle was. What were the people in Sardis struggling with? They wanted blessing in their lives. And they wanted a security to live by. We all want that. But they were looking at it from a different category. They were looking to get it from their own way of looking at people in the community for that blessing, for that security. They were looking more for a temporal blessing, a right now, just make my life, I just want to blend in. I don't want to, I don't want to do things to be noticed. Now we look at the city of, Star, of Sardis that the church is in. It's the oldest of the seven cities receiving the letters and the glory of the city was in its past and they were living on the reputation of their past glory. It was a wealthy city with a large Jewish community. The city was known for how twice in its history it was taken over. Once by the Persians and then by the Greeks. And it was in the same spot, so they didn't learn the lesson the first time. The, when uh, Sardis was there, the Persians were coming attacking, and they had uh, one part of the city had a huge precipice. That they just thought, nobody's going to come right here. We don't have to put a guard right there to protect ourselves. They didn't put a guard. And one of the guys in the Persian army climbed up there, literally got into the city, walked to the front gate, opened the front gate, and let all the Persian army in. And they didn't learn their lesson because the Greeks did it too. Like, oh, Persians did that. Let's try it. And it worked again. Now, the church seems to be mirroring the history of the city. And there's always a danger in the church and any age of reflecting the city that we are in, that she is in. And the church in Sardis made that case. The church had seemed to have her best days already and lived on the reputation of the past. The past was more glorious than what they were living out. And they didn't have any future expectation that God's going to do something. There wasn't a stirring that, that should be in church. That it wasn't a stirring to say, what's God going to do? How's God going to use this church? What's he going to, how's he going to save people through us? How's he going to collect his people with us? We should have that in our healthy churches. The church in Sardis was wealthy, well attended. But they lived on the prestige and the reputation of the past Fruitfulness. Now, the church in Sardis probably had a very large Jewish popula- contingent within it. Because of the large Jewish population in Sardis, the church probably had more Jews in it than Gentiles. So they didn't really have the battle with the Nicolaitans and the Jezebels. And they were No, that's the Gentile struggle. We're Jews, and we're interacting with Jews. But what seems to be the issue is that they didn't speak out for Jesus among their Jewish brethren. They wanted to keep it, no, it's just good. Because remember, the Jews had an exemption. They didn't have to go to the, uh, the, the festivals of the Greek gods and goddesses. They had an exemption. Maybe the people in there are like, well, oh, we'll just kind of hide under the Jewish umbrella still so we don't have to do that compromise thing. But they're not speaking up. So the church isn't recognized because they're not speaking out. I think we fit that a little too often, don't we? We just get going with life. Not that we're intentionally saying, we're going to leave Jesus out of this. We just get going with life. We get going with the commotion. And the next thing we recognize is, man, I really haven't told anybody about Jesus in a long time. And the situation hasn't even arisen. Like before, I used to, people used to ask me to pray for them. That, that doesn't seem to happen much anymore either. The church was maybe comfortable with being secret disciples like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes by night, doesn't want to be seen. Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple for fear that he'd get put out of the synagogue or or off the uh, the ruling podium. They wanted to blend in and escape notice. And the church, I think, was, it seems to be overtaken by a false security, a false comfort, when they should have been marked by faith. Now, in our lives, I think there's, a, there's always helpful scrutiny, uh, helpful questions that we ask of ourselves. Like, are, are we living out of a false security? Now, believe that when we are true believers in Christ, we have a security that we don't have to go out and chase. We don't have to keep on making sure that we're Christians, When we have the Holy Spirit of God, when we've repented of our sins and trusted Christ for salvation, not depending on what we can do for Jesus, but depending on all that Jesus did for us. We're not depending on our own works. We're depending on Jesus' work for us. His death in our place. When we fully surrender ourselves and repent and say, Jesus, you died for me. In that miraculous moment, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us. We don't have to keep him there. He's there. That's security. But is that all we have? Are we living lives that are just simply, well, yeah. I got got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And that's where we draw the lines. I got my fire insurance, not going to hell. So this is good. But there's no active faith happening. There's no growth that looks like we're, we're, we're spending ourselves on God and we're living upon a God who is eternal and we're trusting in the living God. I think that's where we have to be careful. If we slip into a mindset that's all, it's just simply, it's just it's Jesus and me, that's all I need. And it's not critical or necessary to share our experience of Jesus with others. We can just kind of keep that to ourselves. Look, we're, we're in danger of a false sense of comfort and security when, and not living by faith. When, when our salvation loses its awe and its wonder, we are to be awed. Because Jesus is the King of kings and he holds the seven spirits and the seven stars in his right hand. Jesus wants his church to be alive in faith a church that is fearful of speaking up for Jesus' name, we'll learn from this that Jesus won't speak their name either. Now, what we look at is uh, there comes a point, there's an encouragement that Jesus gives the churches, what the church is doing well. Sardis is the only one that has no encouragement. That's eye-opening. Jesus has no encouragement. As much as the other churches were struggling, Jesus had encouragement. for. I see what you're doing well. But here he says, I don't see anything right now. I know your works, and they're not good right now. They're incomplete. Sardis wasn't contending for the gospel. They weren't living out gospel life, gospel faith. But the miracle of this, y'all, the miracle is that Jesus addresses the churches, and he still has hope for them. He still has grace for them to experience as he perseveres. To uphold the witness of his church, he's still showing up in grace. And I love the fact that we can remind ourselves of that. No matter where we are in our lives with Christ, he has grace for us. Because you know what? He wants to revive us, he wants us to live by the power of the Spirit. But he comes to the exhortation. There's a long rebuke here, but this is what the, the church needs to pay attention to. The church had works, just not the right ones. They had the works but not the gospel substance that keeps everything together and vibrant. They settled maybe for an image of life that had no gospel power. They had a personal faith without a public expression. Now, what, what God does on the inside of us when he puts his spirit there, it will come out. Remember Joseph Arimathea's story? He didn't surface until after the death of Jesus when he goes and asks Pilate, Can I have his body? He outed himself. He outed himself. And most probably Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and placed it in his own tomb that he had purchased for himself. Jesus took his death, took his tomb. And church tradition tells us that Joseph of Arimathea made it as far as Ireland, telling people about Jesus. That's where the barbarians were from back then. But he just lived his life upon Jesus. See what God does on the inside? It will come out. It will come out. It has to. But God, uh, Jesus comes and he wants to revive this church and this five commands to revive. The first one is wake up. Become watchful. Recognize spiritual malaise. Recognize spiritual laziness. And seek the power of Jesus to be revived. Be quickened, awakened to spiritual life. It's a a long passage, but Ephesians 5 kept coming to mind this week in this context because Paul tells the church this. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What's he saying? Your light, what does light do? It shines. So be who you are. Shine with that light. Now that exposing is not necessarily a calling out. It could mean that in love. But it's just when we're around, the, the blazing fire of God's presence in us makes a difference wherever our feet are planted. If it's alive and it's and if it's shining. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that's become visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. So let's put these together. We are children of the light. We have an effect on where we are. Jesus keeps on shining on us. To give us wisdom on how to use our days. What do we do with our time? It says, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. How do we make the best use of our days? Be filled with the Spirit. Live by faith. See, our awakeness, our wakefulness occurs through the filling of the Spirit. That's a keep on being filled. So we make the best use of the investment with our time. So he says, Wake up. He also says, Strengthen what remains, build up gospel empowered life. He says, Remember what you've received. Now, in the context of the New Testament, whenever we see the caption or the, the, the understanding of receiving something, most of the time refers to receiving the Holy Spirit. John 20, verse 22. When Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is after his resurrection. He breathes on his disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 2 comes when they're filled with the Spirit. Acts 8. Acts uh, 8. This is P, uh, uh, Peter and John going to Samaria. And he came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 19, the apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So there's a, there's a re- remember what you've received. What's Jesus telling them? You have the Spirit of God in you. Remember what you have. Strengthen what remains. Keep it. Hold on tight. But listen, hold it close. So it makes the difference in everything. Hold it close. And hear the gracious word of repent. Receive the grace of God and the way to go and walk in it by the power that God provides in His Spirit. Now, I love the fact that whenever Jesus gives us a command, he already gives us the fuel to walk it out. So anytime he says to us, wake up, do this, strengthen, what's he saying? You have the spirit. So you already have the power to do it. He's He's not calling us to figure out how we need to work this out and get the power inside of us. No, he's given us all we need for life and godliness. He says this, trust me, walk it out, live by faith live by faith but there's a consequence if there is no repentance that's when jesus says if you will not repent i'll come like a thief and you will not know what what at what hour i come against you this doesn't seem to be uh, an end of the world come like he, jesus used those parables you don't know the time the son of man or the son of god will come with his angels uh, this is different because he's coming to the church and i think this represents what jesus says if you don't repent you're proud And I'm going to come against your pride. Our lives with Christ are to be fully surrendered to him. And when we do not surrender, we're operating out of our pride. Jesus comes like a thief to oppose our pride. He comes at times we don't expect. He will protect us in James 4 verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, what I love about that is he gives more grace for us to be humbled than to walk in our pride in job thirty three um, oh, the guy's name escapes me now who said this. It was the fourth he had, remember job had three friends they're all telling him it's got to be you because god's too holy to do this without cause, so you you're the cause of why all this calamity has happened to you job's saying. Don't agree with you. You think you're smart, but I don't think you're smart. If I, had, if I had an arbiter, he said, if I had somebody in between me and God, then I could be able to have an audience with God to ask him why. Well, the fourth friend, who was the youngest, he comes up and says, you know, I was quiet because I was waiting for you three to have a solution for Job. Y'all don't have a solution, so now I'm speaking up. He says this, for God speaks in one way. and He's saying this to Job and his friends. God speaks in one way. And in two, though man does not perceive it, in a dream and a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. You know what? I think God keeps us from proud moments more than we can ever realize. Because given up, just given to our own faculties, given to our own way of thinking, we're just selfish people. We're selfish. And we get annoyed when other people aren't geared toward us and looking to comfort us or give us more control or more significance. And God comes to us Hey, I'm, I'm not going to let you walk in your pride because I want you to walk by faith. And then Jesus gives a glorious promise to this church. Look, this is grace showing up. Even though you're dead, my grace is powerful enough to show up and revive you. God's always in the business of reviving dead things. And so no matter what we think is dead in our lives, he's in the business of reviving it. He's in the business of having his resurrection life touch those affected things in our lives, those relationships, those those uh, thoughts. And he wants us to walk in freedom. He wants us to walk as conquerors. But there's a remnant of life still in this church. There's some who still have a good reputation for spirit-empowered work. But he's telling them, you need to speak up about it. Don't just hide your good works in the church. Speak up about it. They're still living out of the conviction. These these the who still have a name, they they still have a conviction of their justification in Christ. They they know their gods and they're walking that out. And they're trying to do that by faith. He says to them, you are the ones that have not had your garments soiled, but you will walk in me with white, for you are worthy. Now listen, if we have, we looked at this back in our study in Zechariah a few years ago, when in in a moment, in a day, God takes our soiled garments off, the soiled garments of our sin, and he clothes us with Christ's righteousness. Now, have this picture in your minds. A, you know, a, a, uh, about a year and a half ago, our daughter Lane got married in here. We were over at Southern Hotel across the street. And when we were coming across, it was like I had one of the proudest dad moments of my life. Because I just walked in the middle of the street and stopped everybody. I'm stopping everybody because my, my, this is my family. Watch out. These are all my girls who are coming across the street. And we walked, but Lane, it would have been inappropriate for her with her wedding dress just to kind of s- s- sweep it across the street as she's going. What did she do? She picked it up. She protected it because she wanted to be, she wanted to have that purity to see her, her groom when she came around the corner. And that's, that's what we're doing we're, we're not do God has given us this clothing and we're protecting. I don't want to walk through a puddle. I don't want to do that. I want to protect what God has given me. Not that it's up to me to keep it. It's a gift from him. But by faith, I want to say, I want to preserve myself. And when God says they're worthy, it's not because they figured out how to be worthy. It's because they've recognized their worth in Christ. And because their eyes are on the groom, I'm protecting it. I'm protecting what you've given me, Jesus. And then the ones who conquer, they'll get more symbols of their justification. We are clothed with Christ's righteousness. Therefore, we are worthy to be in his presence forevermore. That's the enemy of our soul. The devil himself wants to convince us that we're never worthy to be in Christ's presence. But we have it looking differently. He wants to convince us we can't get into it but what we have to tell the devil is, no, I'm already there and I can't lose it because his grip on me is way stronger and tighter than anything I could hold on to him. And he's the one that's done the work. I get to be in it. I get to exist in it. And I can never devil. You will never tell me I don't belong here because you're wrong. You're a liar. And we, we recognize looking at our groom. What joy we have because we are worthy. Worthy to be in his presence. Then Jesus gives a powerful picture of names written in the book book of life. This is indelible ink. This is something that cannot be erased. The church there may have been, there may have been a, a pervading fear that if they spoke up for Christ among the Jewish community, their names would be blotted out of the book of the synagogue. And they wouldn't have the exemption anymore within culture. And their, their standing and their comfort in the culture seem to rise more than their understanding that my name is written in the book that matters, not in the, the role of the synagogue. My name is written in the book of life. And it will never disappear, no matter how much of a jerk I am, no matter how selfish I can be. Why? Because Jesus is still coming after me to preserve the witness in my life. He's coming after us to preserve that witness. To preserve the fire of the spirit that he's caused to be in us and to roar into flame. See, the registry that matters is the one that's in heaven. I love the picture in Isaiah 49, 16, where God says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Isn't that cool? Wait a minute, let's put this picture together. In his right hand, he's holding the seven spirits of God and the seven... Stars, what else is written on his, what else is in his hand? Our names are written there. So we can take appropriate comfort in the security that Christ is for our salvation. Our security doesn't come from our effort or our accomplishments. It comes from Jesus' effort and his accomplishment on the cross. And what a powerful moment that he will stand up and confess our names from that book of life. And look, this is, not, this is not him going down a roll and him being surprised that our name is there. Oh, Jeff Earhart, wow, we made it in. Wow, good for him. Good job, Jeff. He's not surprised that our names are there. He knows they're there. He wants them there. And he says before his father, my child, I have paid for his sins. He belongs here. What Look, and remember what his voice does in the image of chapter 1? His voice thunders like a waterfall. You can't silence that, right? You can't sit next to a, a waterfall and try to listen to a radio or put your AirPods in and try to... You can't overcome that. So we need to hear Jesus thundering, booming voice over us saying, You're mine. I've got you. Trust me. Be empowered by my spirit that I have caused to live inside of you. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this, this is hope. This is, I I can deal with myself tomorrow when I wake up. Because I'm more aware of how I'm I'm failing or I'm, I'm so stressed out. And anxiety thoughts are accumulating in my mind before I can even set foot on the ground. This is hope for us, church. This is hope for us to say, Jesus, I want to surrender to your spirit more and more and more. And oh, for that day, to hear him call out our names before the Father and the heavenly arena filled with angels. And he won't need a microphone. And everybody will know, what a day, what a day that will be. So what do we do? We ask Jesus with his hands, To gather us, to hold us, so we can live by the completeness of his Holy Spirit and his control over all the cosmos. We don't have to try to control our lives. He's the control. We can trust him for it. Look, a a quick little, put this in your notes, quick little spiritual vitality autopsy. It's a lot of syllables, I just realized saying it out loud. But look, three easy questions for us to consider right now. But, but as we walk in life this week, what place does Jesus occupy in my life? Is he really first? Is he really preeminent? Is he really exalted? Because he promises that when he's exalted, all things will work together for his good and our joy. Our good, his joy. Cyclical. Second question. If this is very interesting. If Jesus were to take... Oh, I got these from Daryl Johnson commentary, Discipleship on the Edge. So I didn't come up with these. That's why I'm like, these are good. (laughs) I'm not promoting myself. This is a good question. No. He said, Daryl Johnson, if Jesus were to take away his spirit, would it make any difference? Wow. That's a helpful question for us. And then thirdly, when was the last time I shared Jesus with another person? Believer, unbeliever, it doesn't matter. Just share Jesus. Lord, thank you for the hope that we feel in our hearts right now. I pray that as we take a moment to solidify your word in worship, God, that we would sense your spirit rise, living waters rising inside of us and flowing outward, for our joy, for our freedom, for our healing. God, we need that. We desire, we long for it. We don't want to do another thing in our own self-sufficiency or trusting in ourselves. We want to trust in you. Jesus, we want to live by faith. We can only live by faith when you are the object of our focus and you capture our gaze. Oh holy anticipation for our future of grace that will show up in our lives today, tomorrow, the next day Father I ask God that you would please revive us and use us and may we experience the joy of heaven as we see lost coming to Christ as we see wandering sheep find a home God would you use us us in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods? Would you use us in our extended family? When it seems so hard, God, will you use us, please? Here we are. Send us. Send us. Thank you. Be mindful of our great Jesus is go, therefore baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you. (laughs)